0: Uh, seizures upon seizures with low sodium and I believe this child is 15 16 months old and she's gone a lot she's gone through a lot in her short life so I would encourage you to continue praying for the Romeros pray for baby Ellie that the Lord would strengthen this child and that the doctors would have some sort of resolution to figure out what's going on they uh, have done another test one last test Uh, They were discouraged on their findings so far that they can't find the issue of why she is uh, getting low sodium. And then hence results in seizures and shallow breathing. Um, So no answers there, but they are conducting one last test. It's a hormonal test that will determine uh, what is going on. So please pray for baby Ellie and the Romeros, and uh, obviously we miss them and love them, and we pray that God would continue to sustain them. All right, Um, we are in this session regarding counseling, but in particular, biblical counseling, and can anybody provide a good definition of biblical counseling? Anyone? Yes, Christian. Uh, I'll give it a try. Yes. Uh, being able to address uh, certain circumstances using Scripture. Okay, addressing circum- certain circumstances with Scripture. All right? Just any Scripture? Right. I think what I was pushing for there was holy scripture, right? We're talking about something that is perfect, that comes from heaven, comes from the Lord down to man, the word of God. So do we have any place in scripture that tells us that the Bible is sufficient in all these areas of life? And where would we find that? 2 Timothy 3.16, let's turn there. And Sister Emmy, would you mind reading that out loud? This is our biblical and theological foundation for biblical counseling. that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? And I talked about this a little bit last Wednesday night, if you were here, that the Apostle Paul is talking to, to young Timothy. And if you look at the previous verse, verse 15, the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, you've learned something very good and something very special from your childhood. According to Jewish culture, Jewish parents were to train their children in the law starting at age five. And so the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, Timothy, when you were a child, you had a mother and a grandmother that started to invest in you, started to teach you the word of God, in particular, the law of God. And so he's telling Timothy that this is a great blessing and a gift. And he calls this training something specific. He says the word or words in verse 15, sacred writings. Sacred writings, what is or what are the sacred writings? Because if we understand what that is, then it is able to make you, Timothy, what? What is it supposed to make Timothy do? What was, what's the result? What? wise unto salvation or wise for salvation through faith in jesus christ so if you have the sacred writings young timothy and you started learning this at age five by your mother and grandmother it is going to make you wise unto salvation right make you wise and so what, is, what are these sacred writings i talked about it last wednesday night verse 16 all scripture all scripture is breathed out by God, theopneustos, or breathed out, or if you want to talk about the doctrine of expiation, theopneustos can be literally translated uh, the spirit of God. Spirit of God in this sense is the word of God coming to man. And this scripture is profitable or beneficial for several things. What is the first thing that scripture is beneficial for? Say it again, brother. Instruction. Okay. So teaching or instruction that could be formal or informal. So we're talking about biblical teaching. The second benefit is what? Reproof. Okay. What is reproof? Correction. Okay. Correction. I'm looking for another word discipline okay what's another word rebuke Rebuke, reprimand right that we get the idea when so when they're doing something or somebody's doing something wrong the christian is doing something wrong it should rebuke them the next benefit is correction what's correction what fixing Fixing something what something that was wrong right I'm not living right. I've got to fix that according to the word of God. And then lastly, training in what? In what? What is righteousness? Please, no baptist lockjaw today. Let's talk. Okay? Let's talk. This is interactive today. Something in accordance with God's law. Something that's in accordance to God's law, right? So there's a moral obligation, right? There's a moral standard. There's a standard of what is right and what is wrong. And for the Christian, we are to live morally according to what's right or righteous. Okay, So when we think about this, the sacred writings is all scripture. And all scripture, Old and New Testament, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That is our biblical foundation in biblical counseling. If you you don't know this, I think I need to explain this, that in the counseling world, in the world in general, there's three categories of counseling. The first category is secular counseling. This is like Oprah Winfrey that tells you, you know, buy this book, read this book. It's a great book. It's going to help you. But it's not the Bible, right? So that's not going to work. Secular counseling is not going to deal with the issues of the heart. And the issue of the heart is what? Ultimately, say it, sin. Right? Sin. So that leads to the second category. The second category of counseling is actually uses the term Christian with the word counseling, Christian counseling. Christian counseling is, the best way to explain that is you take something that is perfect and you mix it with something that is imperfect. That is now like Oprah Winfrey with a Bible. Doesn't understand the gospel, doesn't love the gospel, doesn't love Jesus, but uses some Christian cliches and Christian slogans and mantras and makes it palatable for us or the general audience. And we say, oh, that sounds great. That even sounds Christian, right? The problem with that is what happens if you take something that's pure perfect, and powerful, and you dilute it with the world's system. You just tainted it. You just distorted it, right? So that's the second group of counseling. That's called Christian counseling. They will actually label themselves on the web, right? There are private practices that say, I'm a Christian counselor. And that's exactly what they do. They take the Bible plus man's methods and put it together, which leads to the third category and I'm sure Pastor Ed has talked about this, is biblical counseling. Biblical counseling. It's right here. We just read it. It's not something that we made up. Biblical counseling is rooted deeply in the Bible. We have a theology for what we do as counselors from the Bible, from the Word of God. My goal is never to put a brother or sister on psychotropic drugs, and it's never my goal to take you off psychotropic drugs. That's between you and your doctor. My goal is to present to you what the Word of God says, and only the Word of God. So what we're talking about is when we use the term biblical counseling, we're talking about 100% the scriptures and only the scriptures. That's the category that, that I hold to, because I believe that the Word of God does this, right? So we have a good idea of what biblical counseling is. Why is biblical counseling needed, though? Yes? Well, because in today's world, we're being attacked all over the place. Okay. Anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-Christian. We never looked at Jesus or God's word first. Okay. Yes, yeah, good good definition. So obviously, as a church family, we believe in discipling others because Matthew 28 says they'll go make disciples of all the nations. So when we talk about biblical counseling, all we're really talking about is discipleship in an intense manner. In a very intentional manner. In a very formal manner. That's what we're talking about when we say Biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is intense discipleship that deals with these attacks, right? And these attacks show up in our lives as what? Anxiety, depression, anger, pornography, drunkenness, sexual carousing, sexual immorality, on and on and on. That's how it manifests or shows up, okay? So, when we talk about biblical counseling, we're talking about intense discipleship from the Word of God and only the Word of God. I hope as Christians we can hold to 2 Timothy 3.16 that we believe that it can train a person in righteousness. It can correct them. It can rebu- rebuke them, right, if needed. So I want to encourage you to, if you're, if you're not there, I hope you are there, but if you're not there you've got to get to a point. If you're going to disciple others and counsel others, you have to have a biblical conviction. You have to say that the word of God is the word of God, and it is enough, okay? So when we talk about biblical counseling, though, there's two categories within the framework of biblical counseling. The first category is informal, informal, okay? What informal counseling, it looks like this. I call up Brother Vern's. I say, Brother Vern's. Would you like to have coffee with me? And he says, yeah. So I take him out to coffee, and I'll actually buy coffee for my brother, right? And we just start talking about life. How's your marriage? How's your kids? How's your work? How's your spiritual disciplines? Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you evangelizing? Are you discipling anybody? Are you being discipled? Like, I just ask. When I do informal counseling, it's very low-key, but I'm asking a lot of questions. I know what questions to ask, right? Right? But when, And I just sit back and I listen to what's going on in his life. And when he expresses to me, here's a challenge, here's a problem, here's a struggle, I make a mental note here, here, and here, right? I don't take notes. I'm not a doctor, right? So when he tells me the problems that are happening in his life, I try to figure out mentally, okay, what is the number one issue my brother is dealing with right now? Because I only have so much time. Right. So I'm trying to narrow down what's the number one problem. So today is mainly practical. OK, I'm talking about biblical counseling on a practical level. Once I figure out what the number one problem is, I'm not going to Oprah. I'm not going to Oprah with a Bible. I'm not going to the world. I'm going straight to the Bible and only the Bible. So I already know if my brother is dealing with anxiety, anxiety, How do you define anxiety, by the way? What's the definition of anxiety? Worry, Worry, concerns. Anxious, right? So if my brother's number one problem at that time is worry, anxiousness, anxiety, concern, right, and he's just taken over by it, where in the Bible can I take him so that he would study, meditate, pray on and that God would help them and that I'm going to hold his feet to the fire. Where in the Bible can I go for the problem of anxiety? Philippians 4. Philippians 4 what does it say? Uh, be anxious for some things. For for no. For what? Say it again. Be anxious for, nothing. for nothing. In everything, right? So the scriptures is very clear in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about what? Anything your parenting, your marriage, your work, any struggles in life, right? And if you keep reading that text in Philippians chapter 4, God in his kindness has actually provided for us Christians on how to deal with anxiety. You deal with anxiety by what? What's the resolution in Philippians chapter 4? Pray. How do you pray? With With thanksgiving. Thankful prayer. Thankful prayer to God is the resolution to anxiety. We got our answer, right? We got our answer. So now what I do is I tell my brother, brother, I'm going to pray for you. I'm here for you. I love you. I care for you. But I need you to study this verse. And I need you to study it in such a way that you memorize this verse. So that when you struggle with anxiety and worry concern, I'm not going to be around, but God is with you. He will help you, right? So I need him to meditate on it seriously and apply it and memorize that text. I think the problem with many Christians today is like we know, we know that this is the word of God, but we just don't know what verses, what books, what chapters to go to for a very specific problem. That's why biblical counseling is beautiful if you understand how to apply God's word in a very intentional, disciplined manner, okay? So now the other side, so what's the opposite of informal? Formal, right? Those are only two categories, formal. So formal is when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor Olo, me and my wife are having great struggles right now. Or Pastor Olo, I'm struggling with pornography and it's affecting my marriage. Or Pastor Rolo, I'm dealing with addictions, drug and alcohol addictions. And I've had enough. I, it's ruining my marriage. I, okay, so when they approach me, then I go into formal formal, uh, biblical counseling. And so you should have this forum. This forum is for the purpose of formal biblical counseling. So I want to give you some practical things on, what, on how to use this so that it will help you if you're going to be a counselor. It could be, you could be certified in the future or not certified. It doesn't matter to me. Our, our goal as a pastoral team is that you would know how to counsel people on a basic level. Okay? On a basic, basic level. So today is very practical. Okay? So if you have that form in front of you, I want to go through it with you. Okay? It's called the PDI, Personal Data Inventory. And the reason that this is important is if you understand the questions and the right questions to ask, and you know how to take decent notes or good notes, then you'll have information to be a good biblical counselor for your brother and sister in Christ. Okay, Because if you're going to show them in the word what they're going to do, then you need to understand what is the real problem. I mean, obviously the default answer is it's sin, but what kind of sin are we talking about exactly? And does the Bible speak to that specific sin? And if so, where in the Bible? Make sense? Okay, so this PDI, personal data inventory, uh, we're not trying to be doctors, but we want to get a whole picture of what's happening so that we can make good recommendations from the word of God. So this first section is a personal, it says personal identification. It's basic information about the person. I don't need to go into great detail, but I want to highlight a few areas. Uh, One of those areas is sex. Back in the good old days, there was two sexes, male and female, and they're still two sexes, male and female. But if you're going to counsel people, you're going to run into people who are saying, I'm a man, but I identify as a what? Woman. Or I'm a woman who have identify as a man. So you're going to run in today's culture, in today's world, you're going to run into all sorts of situations that um, are weird. Okay, let me just say it like that. Um, the next one is referred by, oh, let me back up a second. So when it comes to sex, it's important for them to say how they identify themselves. Because if you're running into transgender, transsexual situations, you're going to use that to as a jumping platform to what does the Bible say about biological identity. See, what I love about the Bible is that when it comes to how the world was created, how sin came into the world, who God is, and how families were created, and how marriage was institution, and the purpose of procreation, and where the world is heading, and is there any hope, you can get all of that in Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11. So if you don't study any other part of the Bible, now don't hear hear me wrong, I want you to study the whole Bible. But if you got time, study, I mean, Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 1 through 11. That's going to help you out on how to look at the world from a biological, sexual standpoint, okay, that God has created. The next thing is, in the personal identification segment or area, all of this is self-explanatory, right, is years, years, years well, how many years have they been working? So, why, And the reason I bring this up is when a person says, I'm depressed. And I said, well, why are you depressed? Well, I, I don't really know. I just feel depressed. And then I, I see here that this person can only hold a job for three to six months maximum at a time. Do you think those two are connected? If you can't pay your bills and put food on the table, do you think you're going to get depressed? Yes. So if they say, I've only been at this employer for a year or less, and the maximum time I've ever had at a job was a year or less, you're onto a certain trend right now. Okay. Also, the marital status is important. You want to know where they stand maritally. Moving on to marriage and family. All of this is self-explanatory again, but it's helpful to know if they do have a spouse, what's the spouse's occupation? And how long have they been employed there? Now, let me give you a reason why that is going to be helpful. Uh, I ran into a situation where a brother was having problems in his marriage, and the brother would say, well, You know, I just don't like my wife's job. She works long hours. She works weird hours. She works all sorts of ungodly hours, and it's affecting our marriage. I said, well, what does your wife do for a living? Well, she works a job as a stripper. So do you think that's going to affect a marriage? If you don't think so, you may want to think again. That is going to negatively affect a marriage. Okay. So it's important to know what the spouse does, how long they've been working there. And then it says in this marriage and family section, give a brief statement of circumstances of meeting and dating. You're asking them, how did you two meet? And then eventually the question is going to lead to how long did you date or how long did you court or how long were you engaged to the time you were married? Now we live in Vegas. The challenge with Vegas is you can meet somebody today and get married in the next 60 seconds right? Just go down to the, the county courthouse or the local drive through chapel, whatever you prefer. So you want to know their history of what's going on, how they met. Have either of them been previously married and to whom? You know, I have military buddies who have been married not only once, not twice, three times or more, Right? So you want to know how long they've been married and who they are married to. And if they've ever been separated for their wife, right? I hope we understand that they're legally married, but they're physically separated. There's a time to be physically separated. And as a pastor, if I hear that a woman is being physically abused by her husband, that's the first thing I'm going to do is make sure this woman is safe. I'm going to put her in a safe place. I'm going to recommend she goes in a safe place. I'm going to tell the husband, don't you touch your wife again. If you do, it's going to end up bad for you, right? We need to work through this. We need to work through this. So, uh, have have they filed for divorce, either one of them? You know, if you see a person, married, divorce, married, divorce, married, divorce, do you think there's a bad trend? It's bad enough to have one divorce, but we live in a culture now where multiple divorces happen all the time. And what does that say about their view about marriage? They have a low view of marriage, right? I'm going to stay in the marriage as long as it works for me. But as soon as you offend me, I'm leaving. Okay? That's an ungodly position. That's cool. Yes, ma'am. Uh, when you were talking about the wife being beaten, this day and age, some women beat men. Right. That's true. Okay, so uh, Sister Lucretia asked or said, you know, we live in a culture where women beat up on men. I've heard it, I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I've had to ask the man to get out of the house, right? Go get a hotel, go to a safe place, go to your family for a while, and then let's work on, a, on how to resolve this whole situation. Okay, uh, then you see a section here for children. In Las Vegas, uh, there are many blended families, right? They're going to have stepchildren involved with biological children. So you want to just have a little bit of information, and do they live with the parents or not? The reason I'm asking that is because I need to know who influences who. I need to know who influences who. Are their parents still married? You know, there's a lot of children who have now become adults who've grown up in uh, separated homes or broken homes, uh, parents who are divorced. And, you know, many parents know that it's going to affect their children when they get divorced. They just don't know how deep that result is. And so we need to know, hey, are your parents still married? Are they still living? Do they live in the local area or have they moved on? This is important as well. Parents' religious convictions, are they believers or not? The reason we ask that question is because one of the parents or both of the parents, if they have any religious background, they have discipled their kids in one form or fashion. Sometimes positive, many times negative. But if I know the religious convictions of how they were brought up, then I understand the framework of how they think, right, of how they think and why they operate the way they do. Describe your relationship to your father and to your mother, that section there. Many times if you do formal counseling, you're filling out this personal data inventory, you're going to hear a lot of deep hurts in this section right here. You're going to hear a lot of broken hearts from this section right here, because many people will say, you know what, I love my dad, but I hate my dad. He was an alcoholic, and he beat me and my mother all the time. I love him, and I hate him. I wish he would die. That's my relationship with my father, Pastor Ola. You're going to hear deep, broken hearts and pain, okay? You got to pay attention and listen to what they're saying about their father and their mother. If there's any siblings, brothers or sisters, do you or did you live with anyone other than the parents? Again, the idea behind that question is who has influenced this person? growing up. Okay. So that's the first section or two sections, personal identification and marriage and family. Is there any questions on that section alone before I go into health? So this PDI is broken up into different categories and asking different questions in different categories so that we have a full picture of who we're dealing with, okay? And what's going on in their life. So the first two sections, personal information, marriage, and family. Any questions there? Yes. Uh, so my question is, what do you do when both sides are accusing each other of stuff? How do you discern who's at fault and who isn't? Okay. The question is, how do you determine who's at fault when they both accuse one another? Right. Okay. So I've run into several situations like that in my counseling ministry where Uh, both spouses blame each other. So this is where listening comes in. God gave us two ears and one mouth. In other words, we need to do more listening than talking. If you're doing all the talking, like you ask a question and then you just want to answer the question for them, you are self-defeating. Ask the question, be quiet and listen. They're going to give you the answer. They're going to give you the answer. You just got to be patient and willing to listen. You're going to figure it out by God's help. Okay? So I would just encourage anyone, ask the question, be quiet, and listen. You're going to figure that out. All right. I know that probably didn't answer your question, but all of that is case by case, right? You got to listen. Let's move on to section number two, health. Health. It says here, describe your overall health. I've run into counselees that have not seen a doctor in 10 to 15 years. I think that's fine if you're like 15 and under. But if you're an adult and you haven't seen the doctor in 15 to 20 years, do you think there's something possibly wrong, maybe with their blood results or blood workup or anything? It's possible, right? It's good to go see a doctor, right? God gave us doctors. Let's use them. So they'll say, well, my health is good. And then you'll ask them, okay, your health is good. Are you, do you have any chronic conditions, illnesses, injuries, or handicaps? Okay, you want to know uh, what their background is. And then you want to know when was the last time they saw a doctor? What was the report of their last blood work? Okay? We're not trying to be doctors. We're just trying to figure out. How are, they, how are they physically? Do you think their physical health affects anything of their spiritual health? Yes, yes, it the two are deeply connected. Why? Because God made us that way. For example, this is just on a very low practical level. If you've worked 15 hours a day and you do that every single day and you don't eat healthy and you don't work out and you don't get good sleep, and all you do is drink Bang, Monster, Red Bull, Black Coffee, do you think that's going to affect your spiritual life in any way? Yes. 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 You want to know if they're taking care of themselves, right? So what was the date of their last medical exam and report? Uh, Again, highlights. Are they under any current medications or dosages? right. You want to know uh, what they're taking. Sometimes you're going to run into people who have high blood pressure, right? And they're taking some sort of uh, medication for that or high cholesterol or heart issues or whatever. Just write down what, they, what they're taking. Uh, but also what's important is are they on any psychotropic drugs? Psychotropic drugs. Why is that important? It's because I had a counseling session one time where a brother was telling me about his problem. And I'm just trying to talk to him and ask him questions. And, you know, I don't know if zombies exist, but I believe I was talking to a zombie that day, you know? I would ask him a question, and his eyes were just wide open, non-responsive, cold, distant. And I would say, are you okay? Are you okay? He goes, "Rollo, I, I don't have any emotions right now. And I go, what do you mean you don't have any emotions? He goes, I, I just, I don't feel like crying. I don't feel like being happy. I got no emotions. I said, so I, then I asked him, I said, are you on any psychotropic drugs right now? And he said, yes. And then he told me the name. He goes, I'm on 20 milligrams a day, blah, blah, blah. I said, so how does it make you feel? He said, it makes me feel like a zombie. Uh-huh. Aha. right. I met my first zombie. So I asked him, I said, I need you to go to your doctor, and I, I know I'm not a doctor, but I need you to talk to your doctor and lower that dosage to a level where you and I can have a honest, real, sincere conversation, because I'm talking to you, and I feel like I'm talking to a wall right now. You won't respond. You won't answer. I said, I need you to talk to your doctor, I said, if you want me to talk to your doctor, I will. I know that sounds weird. It sounds like medical and legal coming together, right? So he said, I'll do it. So he talked to his doctor. He lowered the, the psychotropic drug prescription. And the next time I met with him for counseling, I felt like I talked, I'm talking to a human being, a brand new person. It's because those psychotropic drugs have a certain effect on the mind. And I need to have him respond to my questions because I don't know where to go if you don't respond. I don't know how to direct this conversation if you don't respond. So now, this brother, he's, if I can say it this way, this way he's, he's like a brand new Christian. Loves Jesus. We worked and wrestled through the scriptures together for about three months. So his marriage is doing well. His his life is going much, much better. But I needed him to lower that dosage by talking to the doctor. Again, please hear me. We're not in the business of saying you need to be on psychotropic drugs or, oh, you're on psychotropic drugs. We need you to get off of them. I didn't say that. All I said is I need you to lower the amount so that you and I can have an honest conversation. That's all I said, okay? So... The medications are important. Have you ever used drugs for anything other than medical purposes? We live in Las Vegas. The answer is always yes in Las Vegas, right? They use medical marijuana, but it's not medical marijuana. It's really recreational. It's recreational in many, many situations. Have they ever been arrested? Yes or no. If they have been arrested, you want to know why they were arrested. What did they do What law did they break so that they were arrested? It may be domestic abuse. It may be buying drugs, illegal drugs. It may be uh, shoplifting. You want to know why they got arrested. Uh, Do they drink alcoholic beverages? Do you think drinking alcohol to excess to drunkenness will affect the mind of a Christian? Yes. Absolutely yes. Right? Right? Do not be drunk with wine. Why? What's wrong with being drunk? What does it lead to? It affects your thinking, it affects your thinking right? It leads to wickedness and debauchery. That's what it leads to, okay? Uh, also, if they drink, how often and how much? Do you drink coffee? That's a weird question. We live in America. Land of the free, home of the brave. I need my coffee. I need my Java. I need my coffee every day. It's legal, it's profitable to sanctification. Not right. So, it does too much coffee affect us. How does too much coffee affect us? Jittery, shaking. So, when you drink coffee, brother, you stop trusting the Lord. Okay. I've never heard that one before. Okay. All right. Okay. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. Does somebody else raise their hand? Yes. Don't, kid coffee is addictive. Yes. That's right. My yes? Well, I was also going to say that, and I mean, like, I'm super guilty of this, but it's super common. You can use coffee to mask other bad that habits. So that's right. You sleep yeah. two hours a night and then you just, like, oh, coffee to fix it. That's not a problem. Yeah. Yeah, there's a famous term that's called nappuccino. Nappuccino. <laughs> and what you do is you drink strong coffee because if you're uh, accustomed to working long hours, hard hours, When you get tired, you drink strong coffee, take a nap. And when you wake up, you're ready to go again. So they call it nappuccino, right? Um, You want to be careful how much caffeine you take, right? You want to be careful. That's important. All right. So caffeine products, tobacco products. And then this last question under health, I'm sorry, on this page says, describe your normal sleeping schedule. So a normal sleeping schedule is six to nine hours of sleep. If they get six hours, that's good. Nine hours, good. Anywhere in that range, good. Okay? But if you find somebody who's sleeping only two hours a day, do you think that affects their decision-making? Do you think that's possible to lead to sin? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so keep that in mind. You want to know, are they sleeping well or not sleeping well? Have you ever had interpersonal problems on the job? Have they had any severe emotional upsets? Have they seen a psychiatrist or counselor lately? Okay, and this one question, are you willing to sign a release of information form so that your counselor may write for a social psychiatric or medical records? I have people fill that question out, but I've never had the need to actually ever exercise that. They're willing to cooperate and work together and help. So that question is there. Now, any questions on health before I go to spiritual? Because spiritual, I want to make sure I cover this in the time that I have. Because everything is leading to the spiritual section. Everything is leading to the spiritual section. Any questions on health? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so Sister Emmy said, if they say no to the release of medical information, is that a red flag? In my mind it's yes, it's a red flag. I don't press it unless I need to. But I w- I won't say anything. I'll just make a mental note. Okay? Any other questions before I go to spiritual? All right, spiritual. This is important, okay? Cuz the way that this personal data inventory is set up is it leads to the main issue which is spiritual okay so denominational preference and church attending do you think that's helpful to know do you think doctrine affects life do you think a gospel-centered church versus a legalistic church will affect a christian's life and how they live yes so you want to know if they're a member uh, they, you want to know their pastor's name and if they're willing to give up the phone number. That right there can get a little bit tenuous because they will say many times, at least from my perspective, yes, Pastor Ola, I've been a member of this church, another church for 10 years. And I'll say, well, what's the name of your pastor? And many times they don't want to give up the name because they're worried that Pastor Olo is going to call their pastor and ask Do you have any background on this person who says he was a member of your church for 10 years, right? Do you think that information would be helpful? Possibly, right? Possibly. Uh, And then church attendance per month. Do you think think attending church affects the spiritual life of a Christian? Yes. Should we come to church and worship the king? Yes. Yes. What verse do we have for that? Hebrews Hebrews what? Hebrews 10, 24, 25, right? Is the main, strongest command for Christians to come together in a local church and worship, right? So when we come together, attendance is important. Ask them, do you believe in God? Then you need to ask them, what God do you believe in? because that's important. Do you believe in God and what God do you believe in? Okay. I'm not trying to correct them on the spot. I'm just trying to collect information. Okay. Because once I collect all the information and I connect all the dots in all these areas, then I know the game plan and the pathway of which scripture, which text, which verse I'm going to apply to this number one problem which book and verse and chapter I'm going to apply to the second problem. I know which verse to apply to the third problem. Why? Because biblical counseling is all about the Bible. We believe that the hope is in what? The hope is in Christ. The hope is in the gospel. Yes, ma'am. Right, I think that's a good question. So, yeah, good question. So, Sister Hannah asked, you know, if they have a pastor, why, why wouldn't they go there? Okay, so my pastoral philosophy is this: If you're a member here, one of the pastors should counsel you, because why? You've covenanted with us, and we've covenanted with you. Now, there are people who are not members of this church, and they're longtime attenders. And if they've been with us for uh, quite some time, and that's all subjective, uh, we will counsel them as well, formal counseling. Now, if they do have, if they are officially members of another church, I have recommended in the past, you need to go see your pastor. If you're in good standing with them, and you like your pastor, and he's helpful to you, you're not going to hurt my feelings, go see your pastor, and that's fine, right? Go see him. Does that help? I know it's a weird dichotomy. Um I don't know the answer to that. You know, it I it, people want to talk and I just think they need wisdom on who to talk to, right? Who's who they need to talk to. Sometimes gaining wisdom means that you speak to more than just one uh, Okay. So safety and a multitude of counselors. Okay. Here's another important question. Uh, Would you say that you're a Christian or you're still in the process of becoming a Christian? Have you been baptized? Right? How often do you read the Bible? Are you involved in ministry? Do you see how important these questions are? Because you want to know, is there any spiritual life? If there is spiritual life, how much spiritual life is there? One way to figure that out is to see how active they are in service. Usually those who see God as great and glorious as he is, and he, they love the gospel, they love Jesus, and they want to serve, they're going to be active. And normally those who are active in general are usually healthier biblically. Okay? They love being with God's people. They want to serve. They want to be under the authority of the word of God. Right? They don't want to hang out with the world. They don't want to do the things of the world. They want to be with word-driven, Christ-centered people. Okay? So that's good to know as well. Uh, another question here. Have you ever been discipled? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm talking, we're talking, we're in the section of formal counseling, not informal. You mean like discipleship? No, formal. The the body here, discipleship, formal counseling should be done in one of the Yeah, so when I say formal counseling, I'm saying that somebody has a very serious, deep problem, and they want, one of the pastors to step in formal counseling now informally we can counsel each other informally i've been labeling that congregational care and we should god has blessed this church there's quite a bit of people here praise god but you know three or four pastors can't counsel 150 people we just don't have enough time so therefore we need people to counsel each other informally so i'm talking primarily formal On formal counseling, yes. Informal, I'm not doing it on informal, but formal, yes. So membership people, we're going to disciple a couple for a while. We know them very well. We may not fill this out. Yeah, so you, you can make that call. If you know them very well and you know the ins and outs, then great. But nine out of ten times, you need extra information, right? You need to know what's going on because once I fa- – again – once I figure out what problem number one is, problem number two, and problem number three, I've got exact book, chapter, and verse that I'm going to take them to. And they're going to pray. They're going to read. They're going to study. They're going to meditate. They're going to apply the word of God. And I'm going to hold their feet to the fire. Because we believe that the hope is in Christ. The hope is in the gospel. The power of the word of God. Amen? Okay. All right. Then you go into uh, what are the three biggest and uh, positive influences and the three biggest negative influences in a person's life. And then the last question on this page, have you shared your problems with anybody else? You want to know who they're talking to, okay? That's important. Why? Because of influence. Somebody's influencing somebody. Okay, the next page, you're going to see the top. It applies to women uh, and their cycles. Uh, But also there's a question here about the husband. Is the husband willing to come in for counseling? Okay, so if a wife, if a husband and a wife are having issues and the wife comes up to me and says, Pastor Olo, I need you to counsel my husband and I. One of my first questions is, is your husband willing to meet with me? If the answer is no, I say, I'm sorry, sister. I can't counsel you by yourself because it takes two to tango. And I need both of you at the table and meet with us or meet with me. Okay. But if the husband's willing to meet, then great. Okay. Then you see on this page, a list of problem severity. You're going to see a bunch of different problems, problems, Um, the biggest ones that I've had to deal with are anger, anxiety, bitterness, communication, conflict, control, depression, finances is big in Las Vegas, discouraged, homosexuality, laziness, lust, moodiness, perfectionism, pornography, sexual immorality, spousal abuse. So you can have them fill out all of this. I say to them, I need you to put down the top five problems you and your spouse are going through, the top five, and then rank them in priority, one, two, three, four, five. And as soon as they rank them, that gives me the priority list of what they think needs to be addressed. Now, I have the right, I reserve the right to change that up. In other words, if they say, my number one problem is number one, and then after I've listened to all of them and I've asked them 100 questions, and I've put two and two together, and I say, well, actually, number one is not your problem. It's number four that's your problem, right? So that's part of listening again. And then this last page, briefly answer the following questions. Why have you sought counseling? What difficulties are you facing? What have you done about the difficulties? What are your expectations from counseling? What are your goals? Is there any other information that we should know? Okay, so this is pretty thorough. This is addresses many different things in the life of a person. And if a person is a Christian and they answer these questions honestly, and they're truly seeking help, then this is a great tool because you're going to figure out exactly what are their problems and how to deal with it. And you may say, well, I don't know what book, chapter, and verse to go to for their particular problem." Well, there's going to be brothers here, sisters here that can walk you through on how to put together some sort of pathway to get them to be reconciled to their spouse, but more than that, reconciled to Christ. Now, what happens if you run into a person as they give you this information? They initially say, I'm a Christian. And then when you get to the section on spirituality and you ask them, "Okay, how long have you been a Christian, Dave? In like five years. Okay, great tell me, how did you become a Christian? This is very important because you got to listen. Are they giving me any cues that what they're saying is biblical? The biblical way to salvation, repentance, faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Those are key terms I'm looking for as I'm listening to a person's testimony. And if a person says the reason that I'm going to heaven is because I got baptized, that's a huge red flag they don't understand grace they don't understand who jesus is right so this the so if you run into somebody who's says they're a christian and then you find out through the pdi they're not a christian guess what they need do you think they need help on how to fix their marriage or do you think they need help on how to have their sins forgiven what do you think is a higher priority at that point they need jesus They need to deal with their sin. They need to be, what, reconciled to God through Christ. They need to know that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and mediator between God and man. They need to know that God loves those who repent and trust in him. That those who repent and trust in him have all their sins forgiven. That's what they need. And if a person says, I'm not a Christian, but I need counseling... You use that as an opportunity to what? Not how to fix their marriage. They need need the gospel. So if you understand how biblical counseling works, it's all about the word of God. It's all about the glory of Christ, right? That the word of God has power to change the hearts and minds of people, right? Then we need to be biblical in all that we do. And you can use it for intense discipleship, aka biblical counseling, or evangelism or both do christians need to be reminded of the gospel yes Yes. Yes. you use it for evangelism or discipleship intense discipleship or both so any questions actually i can't take any questions sorry um but if you have any questions on how to use this please let me know pastor ed lord willing will be in the back here in two weeks because next week is what Refcon. refcon all right let's pray father we're grateful that there's hope in the gospel your word is true infallible inerrant authoritative sufficient our hope is not in this world oh god our hope is in the gospel of the lord jesus christ help us to see that and embrace that help us to be good counselors for your glory for the benefit of our brother and sister in Christ. Bless us, Lord. Help us, equip us by your grace, by your word, by the aid of your spirit. We thank you for Christ, and we bless you. In his name we pray. Amen.